This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Thank you so much for being with us as we move forward into our next month of educating the public. Uh, J. Doc, we had a great, very successful opening month of the Labor and Energy Special. Uh, we had a lot of significant guests that joined us uh, in our opening month. We have great significant guests that are going to join us today, and I think that's going to be par for the course as we roll along. This is the Labor and Energy Special. Yeah, Joe, we've got a fantastic show. We've got three great guests, and we've had some significant uh, events happen this particular week, which we're going to get into throughout the show. Uh, I'm ecstatic uh, to bring into the show uh, John Bersicelli. Uh, John, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm happy to be with both of you. Uh, the topic of this uh, of this series uh, really has my interest. Very, very important. Uh, just very important for public discussion to unfold around this. Absolutely. And, and so as a, a longtime New Jersey state representative, uh, you've had all kinds of anti-energy activists pushing to end traditional energy. Uh, we saw it uh, with the scuttling of the Penn East uh, pipeline. We, we, we've seen it in the regulations and the laws coming out of New Jersey, uh, particularly like the, 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 the calls to mandate electric trucks and replace uh, traditional diesel powered trucks. By the way, those trucks are not even around yet. Uh, but we do know that they'll be significantly more expensive and they could put a lot of refining and traditional energy jobs at risk. Um, you have dealt with these issues for a long time in the legislator, in, as a legislator. What are the forces really driving these anti-energy uh, initiative and who's behind them? Well, I, I can't speak exactly to who's behind it because, there, there, you know, there are there are there, there are a, a, a lot of a lot of layers. To, uh, to the discussion uh, and people's and, and, and people's opposition because everyone has a different view of things. Myself, you know, I, my bigger picture thought is that you know we need a blend of energy, and that includes and that includes you know I think fossil fuels have a place and are going to be around a long time. And there are you know and there's various points of that discussion. I live in Paulsburg. I served as mayor of Paulsburg before I moved to the General Assembly. I always used to tell people we're two square miles nestled between two oil refineries. So, um, you know, my father, grandfather, people worked in those places. And uh, and the Paulsburg refinery is still functioning. It's down at capacity-wise, <laughs> excuse me, but not because of lack of, of demand for product. It's because of influence of overseas uh, overseas product coming in, 
uh, inexpensive product coming into uh, you know to, to the New York Harbor, New York, New Jersey Harbor. So the forces that are interested in electric, and by the way, I am a proponent of electric vehicles. I just think that they're you know that, that there's we are best served if there's a mix of both. And uh, gasoline cars, diesel trucks, you know, are more efficient than ever and cleaner than ever, and it'll continue to get cleaner. And electric vehicles will continue to get to get more prominent and and charging stations built. But that stuff's down the road. You know, a lot of pieces have to come together. So, so I'm sorry, it's a long-winded answer, but I don't think there's one particular point of opposition to fossil fuels. Uh, I think there are little pieces here and there, and they just happen to get a lot of attention because it's fashionable to talk about those things. John, where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect for the public listening to the conversation that we're having right now on the Labor and Energy Show? Why don't we know? And when I say we, I mean the general public. Why don't we know what's right or wrong? Well, I think the general public in our heart knows what's right and wrong and realize that it is a blend of things that will best serve us. But I, you know, I, I say this, I say this as a citizen, you know, we are, we are let down by the fact we haven't really had a cohesive national energy policy in anybody's memory. I mean, the fact that the fact that Pennsylvania, the three mile Island nuclear plant, that one reactor of the two shut down is, 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 is in my opinion, dangerous public policy. And, uh, you know, cause we need nuclear as a backbone of generation along with natural gas and with solar and wind, and you need all these pieces. So, uh, you know, I think the first point is the message out of Washington is confused because there is no national energy policy, and, and that has gone back over numerous administrations. I mean, I think it's in America's interest that uh, that we be, you know, you, you hear the term, well, we got to be energy independent. Well, of course we do. We want to be, and we can be, and especially if we're smart. But, you know, you can't take nuclear out of the equation, and you can't say suddenly that, you know, 10 years ago the environmentalists were screaming for nat- natural gas-fired uh, generation plants, and uh, now, 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 they, now they want the national, natural gas generation plants to go away. So they've got to make up their mind. Uh, well, you know, what's, inter- what's interesting, John, and on, on what Joe Crouch just said is, and I've said it, and Joe kind of, you know, he, 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 he laughs when I say because I say it so much, but – um, we're talking about the consequences of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I, you make a great point. We need to, these need to be a mix. People need to be educated. That's, that's one of the things that's so confusing. How come the public doesn't understand um, that there are 6,000 products that, that, that fossil fuels uh, make up, uh, including a lot of our renewables? Um, how come they don't understand? And, and how come the environmentalists, I mean, I, I, they have to understand. It's, 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 it's something that we talk about every day, and that's what's so confusing. Well, again, you know, as Americans, we're a very distracted society. Because remember, you got baseball season going to start. You just finished, you know, you just finished the final four. So people don't have the time to, to, to focus as they should and recognize that, you know, you know, petroleum and byproducts of it, whether it be whether it be even into the pharmaceutical side of things, there's a place for all of this. So, and what we don't need is hysteria. And I don't mean to, you know, to, to paint such a big picture, but you know, we're not getting help from the federal side. To, to have a cohesive national policy, energy policy, uh, fossil fuel policy, renewable policy, real discussion. Because it can't be all of one, and you can't throw a switch. Uh, exactly. And, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I drive, I drive uh, our household has two cars. One's an electric car, one's a gas car. That's by choice. Uh, because, because there's a place for both, and both serve purposes differently at different times. 
so, so you know, so again, it's common sense which we lack, and then you've and you, then you've got the private interest groups on, on all sides, and uh, you know, and part you always, as the old people say, follow the money, you'll find the truth. So, you know, uh, some groups are in the business of selling memberships. So it's like professional wrestling. You got to have a good guy and a bad guy. So you got you're looking to attract people to your side because there's a bad guy over there. So you know you got that going on, and that's that's just that's part of the American landscape. And then you have a distracted society, which is I, the I bottom mean, line. Sure, I I absolutely agree with that. Believe me, I, I can't wait for baseball season either. But we just did a vote in in uh, and uh, at, we t- to knock down to do a, a veto override on uh, the regional greenhouse gas initiative here in PA, and it lost by one vote. And, you know, it's going to put thousands of jobs uh, at risk. Uh, they're going to go to court. So, I mean, but it, 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 it's not only going to put them at risk. People are going to lose jobs. Uh, we're talking about our energy independence. OK, and we all care about the environment. I know. I mean, I, I feel the same way as you. I'm, I'm, I'm a Democrat. I've been I'm always been pro in, in, in environment. But um, and, and we are obviously distracted, but we're making massive moves here in the process that in a lot of ways, you know, affects our, our, our job base, obviously our economy and, and potentially our national security. Um, question would be, how, especially as a labor movement here, um, how, how does labor and, and the traditional energy industry better educate the public uh, about the, the, the need to protect our jobs and our, and our, um, and our supplies? Well, you, you, you summed it up in the sentence. Educate is the word. Uh, you know, there, there is an important story to tell uh, about, you know, how we get to whatever the future is going to be. And by the way, it's not all wind. And I'm a big advocate for wind and sponsored legislation in New Jersey. But I recognize that wind has limitations and wind is still evolving. And wind is not going to be as effective for us as we want it to be until we have large storage batteries. And we need and we need gas-fired plants, and we need the petroleum business to, to be successful uh, and have its place. And for those that are in that business, and we, the three of us have friends, and we know that people work there, know there, the, the decision-makers associated with it, you know, just the refinery side of things. Our, our places are threatened, not by so much the changing landscape of the environmental laws, but they are from outside influences of, 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 of inexpensive product coming to this country. Yeah. I have great concern of us losing refining capacity and, you know, getting shut off, you know, getting shut off from global imports coming. And, and, you know, how does America make the fuels it needs? Because you're still going to need fuel. And, and, and but we turn our head is turned away from that. I mean, if you look in the Delaware Valley where I live uh, and we see, you know, the Sunoco refinery the long gone in West effort, the Sunoco refinery gone. In Paulsburg slash West Effort, it was Sitco Refinery. They're operating more as a boutique refinery involving some particular fuels. But, uh, you know, you, these products are very, very necessary. And, and, and the public's attention to understanding how it all fits in is, 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 is blurred. And it's blurred because of the message they're getting, you know, the national news and this and that. And, uh, you know, there's a place for all of it. Well, it's interesting because it's a that's a great point with the decision with Reggie here in 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 Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, I we we've talked to members of the public who really don't even know what's going on. I mean, literally, if I asked my neighbors, if I asked fifty of my neighbors what the uh, regional green uh, greenhouse gas initiative is, they wouldn't. I, if if one of them knew what it was, I'd be surprised. 
And you mentioned uh, the media and, and, and the national media, the whole deal. Uh, the, the, the first thing what we were talking about, I brought it up. Uh, we were watching the Villanova game last week, and, and, and I was talking about Monday's vote in Harrisburg. And not one person at at the uh, party was understood what the potential was, um, you know, of, of, of Reggie. And you, you talk about the national media and talk about how that, you know, how we can impact that and get the work. By the way, that's why we do this show. That's why, you yeah. know, we, we created the show. But the media is not covering it and telling both sides of the story. Well, you're also, by the way, you know, this program and the work you're doing is, is working to fill a void because what we learned, especially this past election, uh, but what's come into focus over the last half a dozen years with the disappearance of local media, there, there is just there, there's just not enough vehicle for the public to be tuned in. So, you know, as we sit here in the Philadelphia region, I mean, the Inquirer still publishes, but it's, it's a shell of the paper it once was. I mean, Absolutely. they're probably doing the best job. I'm over in Gloucester County, and we really no longer have a newspaper. It's called the South Jersey Times, but it, 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 they have two reporters. There's no paper in Salem County. There's no paper in Bridgeton, which is the county seat of, of Cumberland County. So as, as all of these channels of communication are being taken away, you know, we have to move quickly to fill the void of getting just general information out to people so they can sort this stuff out. I mean, right now, you know, people around us are saying, you know, the, the thing that has their attention is gasoline and home heating prices are up. Uh, and that gets people's attention. So suddenly they talk about things. And as far as the Reggie thing, I, I realize I'm just sort of pontificating here. But it makes me, you know, it, 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 it's always awkward. You know, America does more than its part for global environmental concerns. But yet we allow India to run refineries that are dirty. We allow China to, you know, we, 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 you know China is building multiple coal plants a year. We never saw the, uh, the exhaust system on coal plants, uh, you know, getting the mercury. The, the scrubbers were never effective, unfortunately, because it's such a resource waiting to be used. Uh, but the point is, you know, again, it gets back to national energy policy. America does more than its part. Uh, and it's trickling down now. Uh, you know, it trickles down and affects all of it. So I would say to you, we need a national energy policy that this country agrees upon, and then we should set about going to get there. And uh, and, I, and any national energy policy that doesn't include, uh, you know, a mix of fossil fuels, nuclear, wind, and sun, in my opinion, is incomplete. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You saw what happened here. And I think it's going to take courage from 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 our political leaders to stand up and not be beat, uh, beat up by the the uh, the, the um, who's going to do that. Well, it's an interesting point, Joe, because here what the P, what the uh, loss of the PES refinery, which we've talked about a million times, which is when Joe and I got involved, one unit down out of thirty three, and and our political yep. leaders who support us on a lot of labor issues. Were nowhere to be found, and the reason for that, and the answers were um, that the environmental left uh, are, are speaking, and they're speaking the loudest, and we're and and we're backing down from them. And so, I mean, to me, uh, we all got to join together. We want to do it together. We want to do it together. And I agree with you 100%, John. We just got to have a policy, and we need our political leaders to stand up and come to that conclusion. Yeah, and, and by the way, when we talk about you know talk about where things fit, I'm sitting inside of an automobile that happens to be a battery-powered automobile. It's a car I'm driving today, and I'm looking around at the interior, and there are there are a considerable amount of this interior that are based in petroleum products inside yep. this environmentally friendly car, which people applaud. So you know, and, and you know, and that's where you get back to a discussion of being realistic about how we go about things. And by the way, you know, for uh, I, I refer back to the refinery industry because that's that's what I know. It's where I live at. 
you know, and, and, and those processes continue to evolve, and they've got to get cleaner. And, and they've got to make the case to the public that they're working to get cleaner all the time, where they're not, just not the end result of how the fuel uh, is, is handled with a car and how the internal combustion engine works and how, and how that's getting cleaner, but the refinery process itself. And you mentioned the, uh, the, you know, the explosion that happened the, the, uh, with the process one process facility or a Sunoco facility. As I reminded people, all the safety procedures worked. Yep. And, and, and so, you know, and could it have been worse? Of course it could have been worse. It could always be worse. But it, but it wasn't worse. Uh, and, 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 and what was supposed to work in the end worked. Um, I'm not saying we should be cheering that. But you know what? It's, you know, you know, these, these uh, processes are sophisticated processes. They're complicated processes. And we all benefit from what comes out of there. And, and they're necessary. And, and if we keep driving this business away, we are going to be held hostage by foreign interests before Absolutely. we know it. Absolutely. John Berzicelli checking in with us here on the Labor and Energy Show. Great stuff. Great way to kick off the show, John. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Fellas, have me back anytime, please. Thank you, John. Absolutely. This is the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We'll take a break. On the other side, Senator Joe Pittman back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know wind power depends on hydrocarbons? That's because inside those turbines are gears and axles, a generator, all sorts of moving and turning parts. And moving parts need lubrication. And lubrication means oil. Did you know? Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And back here on the Labor and Energy Special with J-Doc and Krause as we roll along. Good opening guest, good topic coming in, J-Doc. Segment two, this segment, very, very important. Listener alert. Tune in. Good conversation. Yeah, I mean, Joe, we just did a, a, a Zoom last week on 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 the uh, the vote for the uh, the veto override in regards to Reggie in Pennsylvania, and uh, it was a very passionate Zoom. Uh, and and you know, was talking about the, you know what was going on in Harrisburg, and I'm ecstatic to bring in Senator Joe Pittman, uh, Republican state senator representing the 41st senatorial district in Pennsylvania. Senator, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, gentlemen. How are you? Well, we're good, but uh, unfortunately, um, obviously, a lot going on in in in, in Harrisburg. And and um, if you would uh, tell our listeners, if you would, uh, what happened in Harrisburg? Believe it or not, a lot of a large portion of our general public doesn't even know what happened to them on 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 Monday and the potential consequences. If you would. Tell us a little bit about what happened in Harrisburg on Monday in relation to what's called the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. 
Well, as it stands for is Reggie. And basically what this is is an attempt by Governor Wolf to unilaterally enter us into this multi-state compact. Now, what Reggie does is it sets a price on the emission of carbon, carbon, what we all exhale, from power plants. So every coal and natural gas plant would have to pay a tax, a price, to emit carbon to make electricity. And what that would do is increase the cost of electricity anywhere between four and $800 million. The governor's office says $400 million. The independent fiscal office says $800 million. But the bottom line is the people will pay more in electricity if this goes through. And what I have been fighting in a pretty broad coalition, and it includes a lot of the building trades, particularly in western Pennsylvania, is to not allow this to happen unilaterally. What we rely on throughout Pennsylvania is the use of natural gas and coal to produce electricity, and that production of electricity translates into family-sustaining jobs, and invariably they are union jobs, and it is a significant part of our economy, and we can't allow it to happen unilaterally. Now, now Senator, um, we care about the environment, right? I mean, we, we take the, the, the highest precautions imaginable, correct? Who's drive? Who's driving this? I'm a Democrat, right? I, I care about the environment, but guess what? I, I'm not interested in 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 uh, shutting down our economy or our job base uh, or our tax base. Um, you know, especially if it makes no sense. Talk about that for a second. Well, you're absolutely right. I have four small children. I live in the heart of energy production. The district I represent can produce 6,000 megawatts of electricity. That's a lot of electricity. I want a clean environment. I want my kids to live in a clean environment. But you know what else I want my kids to have? Family-sustaining jobs and opportunities to live and grow in the state that I deeply love. And so that's what this is about. I really believe that a lot of this is being driven by corporate America in a very, very insidious way. Because what I find very ironic is you have certain elements of corporate America saying how great it is for Pennsylvania to join Reggie. But you know where the biggest pollution comes from on this planet? China. And you know who has their products made in China? A lot of corporate America. Why aren't they in China telling them to reduce carbon emissions? It's because they need the cheap labor and the cheap goods that they can send over here for us to buy. So I think this is terrible. The reality is, and it's a lot of the building trades who have built the natural gas infrastructure over the last decade that have allowed us to reduce carbon emissions in Pennsylvania. One very important fact, over the last 12 years, we have increased our production of electricity in this state while reducing the emitting of carbon by 42%. And that can largely be attributed to natural gas. Yeah, it, uh, Senator Joe Pittman joining us here on uh, the labor and energy uh, special. Uh, Senator, I'm curious um, if the support runs from western Pennsylvania to the Philadelphia region, call it the I-81 corridor and all points in between, who, why is their support against the support? Who's not standing up uh, and voting for their, for the workers? 
Well, I'll tell you what. We had 32 votes in the state Senate. We needed 33. All 29 Republican senators and three Democrat senators stood with us. And the three Democrat senators were all from western Pennsylvania. Honestly, we need to get the trade unions rallied in the southeast and in the northeast to the degree they've been rallied in the southwest. Because we need support from my peers, my Democrat peers, in the southeastern part of this state to stop this madness. And what I've said to the trades across this state is, you know, you don't want to lose this battle because this time around it might be the power plants in my district. The next time around it could be the production and use of natural gas in your part of the state. And I know that that is bread and butter for the building trades in your region. I mean, here's what I don't understand. And, J. Doc, you say this often on the labor show as well. Unions are not a political party. They, they, vote for, they vote for the middle class. Why is there not unilateral support for this? I don't understand it. Well, I honestly think, and when you talk about Reggie, okay, you got John Bland and, and you have the Boilermakers, and they're obviously a, a large portion um, of, of uh, you know, the, the unions don't have the workforce in the refineries, uh, you know, and, and so they don't have as much skin in the game. But guess what? United, we stand divided. We fall not to mention the fact is um, I personally think people don't understand it. I think our political leaders don't understand it. I think that, um, that you know, why in the world? And, and by the way, Senator, I saw your testimony. I happened to be, you know, I, I was online. I went through everything. And, I, um, and the fact of the matter is, is that. Um, that's what's confusing. We've had, you know, we've had a lot of our uh, our Democratic uh, political officials who've have supported our labor issues uh, time and time again, but they're sitting down on this. And I know it's the governor's issue, and I don't understand that either because it's a it's a ridiculous. Because Reggie, if I'm right, Senator, um, we're participating in it in Pennsylvania, but there are surrounding states that are not participating. And this is not going to benefit the environment by a long stretch because they're just going to pick up the what we're shutting down. Is that right? That's exactly right. If you talk to the boilermakers in western Pennsylvania, they'll you'll they'll tell you that they're not packing lunch boxes, they're packing suitcases and they're going to West Virginia and they're going to Ohio and they're working on carbon emitting power plants and we will consume that electricity. All we're doing is surrendering our ability to produce it, and it's a big domino effect. It's a huge domino effect, and that's why it should concern every trade union membership across this state from corner to corner, because it might not be your particular craft that's going to suffer this time, right? but it will be the next time. Well, it's interesting, though. You, you know, let's talk about the consequences um, of the vote. Now, you mentioned, I, want, I would like you to repeat that. How... What was what was the what was the vote and how much did it get, did it lose by? There were 32 senators that voted yes. There were 17 that voted no. We needed one more senator to stand with us. We had 29 Republicans and we had three Democrats from Allegheny County. Every senator from the southeast, every Democrat senator from the southeast, sat down when it came to standing up for the trade unions. Every single one. <laughs> And at the end of the day, this is not a Republican or Democrat uh, issue. It's not a it, it's not a, just a union issue. Like John Doherty always says, it's a human issue. 
Okay, and and why are we and why are we voting down uh, political lines on an issue that's going to impact us all? And by the way, you you go out and ask your own neighbors, Senator, and I and I I asked mine a handful of them, but go out and ask how many people understand Reggie and what's going on. And the fact yeah. is, they don't know, and that's because the media is not picking it up. So 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 let's just. But, but just so I'm clear, before you jump to this, the, the next question with the senator. There are 17 Democratic senators, all from our region or from this side of the state of Pennsylvania, which has a direct has a direct impact. All 17 supported heavily by the trades on their uh, uh, when they ran for office. All 17 stayed quiet. I don't understand. Yeah, I I don't understand it either. They can't be. Uh, Listen, you and I talked to you and I talked to um, Congressman Norcross on, on the Rin situation. And when I asked him why his, his um, colleagues are, you know, are ter- you know, not acting and being proactive, his answer was they didn't really understand the issue. These are issues that are crippling our communities or have that type of potential. Maybe it's because they don't understand. Senator, can you answer that question? Well, this is the governor's agenda. Uh, the yeah. governor has made it clear to the senators on his side of the aisle that he wants this done at all costs. And to me, that's the ultimate problem, because if I understand, when Governor Wolf was elected and reelected, the trade stood with him in lockstep. The governor has the ultimate power to stop this, and I hope that every candidate that's running for governor, regardless of party affiliation, that you put this issue front and center on them and ask them point blank yes or no when it comes to reggie yeah it's 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 there's so much on the line talk about if you will and we, we have only a couple minutes left but um you know let's talk about the consequences i mean go down the line you talked about uh, when i when i was uh, food housing insecurity minimum wage jobs that were our legislatures are always trying to fight for uh, you know keep having a a, a a vast energy base and jobs cures that talk about uh, what the consequences are here there's no no greater social program we can have than a job. And when you look at the coal-fired power plants that I have and what it injects in our community, but beyond my community, it's the power they produce. Think of this statistic. The three coal-fired power plants I have, if we were to demolish them and replace them only with solar panels, it would take 400 square miles, three times the city of Philadelphia, of solar panels just to replace this electricity. Now think about that for a minute. You know, this isn't Alice in Wonderland. We get our power from the use of our resources and we use them responsibly. You know, we're 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 top class when it comes to using our resources and the reason we're our top class is because of what the trade unions have done to help build them. And I respect that and I honor that. And I just want to underscore that if you use electricity in this state, you will pay more. And what is there as a more basic human need than electricity, food, water, and power? Yeah, and we also talk, we know what's going on over in... in Matt, I was just going to say, magnify that. Take that, those variables of that equation, magnify that right now by what's happening uh, in Ukraine and everything else on the surface. And you have an you have what is almost an a insurmountable mountain yeah. to climb if you're 
working up and go or waking up and going to work every day. I, I mean, Trey. Senator, you mentioned you mentioned the the, the national security issues, um, and, and what is what is Pennsylvania? Uh, what, what is the impact? Of, of, of Reggie in regards to uh, providing our energy resources, uh, not only in our own state, but to, to other states. Absolutely. We are the largest exporter of electricity in the country. Our state exports more electricity to other states in this nation than anybody else. We are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. We have the ability to diminish Russia to diminish China, to diminish the Middle East if we use the resources we have. I've said it over and over again, energy independence is national security. And it's our national security that allows liberty to to prosper throughout the rest of the world. Senator Joe Joe Pittman, Pennsylvania State Senator representing Pennsylvania's 41st Senatorial District, uh, joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show. One of the 29 Republican senators that stood up and was counted on Monday, um, again, 17 voted no um, against Reggie. Senator uh, Pittman, thank you so much, man, for being a part of the Labor and Energy Show. We will continue uh, to use the platform to educate the public until we change the narrative. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, and let's get your listeners engaged. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, good stuff. This is The Labor Show with Jadock and Krause, or The Labor and Energy Show with Jadock and Krause. We'll get to a commercial break. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know there are 6,000 products made from petroleum that we use every day? Products like candles, trash bags, fishing rods, shower curtains, paint, umbrellas, tennis rackets, and another 5,993. Did you know? What's a Boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor and Energy Special, along with Jay Doc and Krause. Uh, we're joined by our next guest in just a moment, Jay Doc, a familiar voice here on the Labor and Energy Special. I got to tell you, and I know this is radio, and you're looking at my, you're looking at me when we're doing the inter- doing our previous interview uh, in the last segment with Senator Joe Pittman. Uh, I'm stunned um, by the vote on Monday, and I'm stunned by the 17 that voted no in that critical vote on. Monday. Yeah, no, the Reggie vote is, is uh, to, to override the governor's veto 
is in a sense devastating. There's so many consequences. Um, and I just don't think, I know the general public doesn't know. We, we, we absolutely, uh, it's like having that, that the carpet pulled out from under your feet, not knowing it's there. And we're just so used to seeing things pop up at the gas tank and, and, and in our electric bill that, you know, we just don't even ask anymore. Well, now the cat's out of the bag and there's reasons why we, you know, we should keep people accountable. And this is one of them. So yeah, you're a hundred percent right, Krause. So having said that, uh, we get the, uh, the opportunity to bring in Brendan Williams of PBF Energy, who's basically a co-host and who's actually <laughs> uh, produces the show, co-produces the show and the content. By the way, I spend more time studying your stuff. I love it, Brendan. <laughs> I, I tell you what, oh, you're, educa- you're, you're educating J-Doc. I love it, man. Yeah. Good stuff. The, the point of the show is to educate the public. Well, J-Doc is getting educated, too. And uh, no, it's great stuff. Oh, and, always good to know there's a use for the random stuff that fills your brain from time to well, time yeah and i'll tell you what man it's it's a lot of energy stuff going on and one of the things we're going to talk about we're going to reference the um the the afpm statement uh and that's the american fuel and petrochemical manufacturers um slash the afpm uh, statement it's about the crude uh, supply it's a discussion uh we previously uh, discussed the crude, uh, the, the uh, crude supply on a couple a couple weeks back on a recent yep. show and, and 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 the and the administration just made a big announcement um that was countered uh by another response from from the american fuel and petrochemical manufacturers uh, on the topic and so uh president joe biden has announced that the release of millions of barrels of crude oil every day uh, for six, for the next six months from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR. Um, and, and, and it's the largest uh, release of its kind in the United States. Um, but first off, tell people what the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is, because I, 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 there's, a, there's a, a, a term I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Right. It's uh, something you don't hear about every day. But... Uh... The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is one of those government programs that actually is as the name seems. It's you know what, Brendan, hold US on. Has, I'll, I'll take yeah. it from here. I studied. I know what it is. I'm going to let you do it, but I, but I happen to know what it is, and I can tell you um, I didn't know about it myself. If you will continue, sir. Yeah, sure. So it's, 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 it is as the name it implies an emergency stockpile of crude oil that the Department of Energy maintains. It is actually, I believe, the largest emergency supply in the world. Yes. Uh, it's stored in I can underground that it tanks. Is. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's stored in underground tanks and the, the salt caverns in the Gulf Coast, primarily in Louisiana and Texas. Yep. I believe it has capacity over 700 million barrels right now. Uh, and uh, it is... The intent of the SPR is to be used in emergencies, whether it's you know geopolitical events like the one we're facing in Russia or other massive events that significantly disrupt or put crude supply at risk. Now, historically, it hasn't always been used for that. Congress has authorized SPR sales to basically get money to pay for other things in the past. Uh, and when they do that, they often say, well, you have to sell it at X, X date or over X series of years or months, and then you have to buy it back over Y period of time. Uh, your Congress does have to appropriate money for the purchases. But its core, the core purpose of it is so that if there's a massive domestic or global disruption of crude oil, that 
refiners need to make the products that make modern life possible, uh, we actually have a have a stockpile for that purpose. So that's that's the what the SPR is, uh, and, and, and a little and, bit of history on the releases. Yeah, and, and what I was going to say is is that, um, but and, and I get it that 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 that's what the releases are, but that's not a long term solution to the problem, right? No, I, I think that's one of the things AFPM highlighted in statement. So it, it is. It was the right thing for the president to do, given the circumstances we're facing. We do the world before Russia invaded Ukraine. The world was looking like it was going to be short on crude oil. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You had a lot of producers that were hamstrung by the pandemic, that couldn't invest because of the pandemic, and demand obviously dropped off a cliff. Well, now it's coming back up. And when you combine the impacts of the pandemic with a lot of the regulatory anti-energy regulatory measures that we see in, in multiple countries. Crude oil production has not been where it needs to be and was not where it needs to be moving into, moving into the, the Russia situation. So then, fast forward, world looking like it's going to be short on crude oil. Russia invades Ukraine. Russia is obviously a large crude oil producer, and so that adds fuel to the fire. And uh, different people, different countries rightfully imposed sanctions on Russia. And as a result, we are in a situation where you had already uh, tight global crude oil markets that were certainly made even more tight given Russia's actions. And so in light of that, and it was the right thing to do for uh, the governments that are sanctioning Russia and cutting off Russian oil, those are the right moves. And given those situations, it was the right thing to do for the president to release SPR crude. However, as you guys just mentioned, it's really not a long-term solution. It's going to help in the near term ensure that we don't run out of crude sooner than later, but it still doesn't address the fact that we need to do more to enhance crude supply. And not only enhance crude supply, but make sure crude is actually available to the domestic refiners primarily that need it. And that's another issue that gets raised in the context of this existing release. But it's certainly the right move I think refiners are glad to see that the international community is following suit. But at the same time, you can't just release crude from the SPR. You have to actually have a plan to increase production and refill the SPR. Because we don't want to end up in a situation where, okay, we release crude from the SPR, and that's going to help get us through this time period. But once that crude is released, now we face a situation where the world still doesn't have enough production, and now our emergency reserves are diminished. That could make have unintended consequences and so um so it was a positive move that it was released uh, it was a positive move that the president announced he was going to refill it because that addresses the situation i was just talking about where you don't want to get to the end of the current release and say okay now we don't have enough production and uh, we don't have any reserves but yeah, we don't have details on how they're going to refill it and more importantly we still need a better plan to make sure that the crude supply is actually available for domestic refiners, and it's available from sources we can rely on. Ideally, domestic crude, certainly North American crude, and there's a lot more that can be done on the production side there. But it's also important in the context of this release to recognize the ability of all refiners to access SPR crude. So what a lot of folks might not know is there's no requirement for the crude oil that's released from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in the U.S. to actually stay domestically. So 
this crude can be exported to foreign countries where it can be uh, refined in products. There's nothing prohibiting that. Uh, in fact, in the past, Bloomberg had a story last week where they noted during the re- November release that PetroChina was one of the successful bidders. Uh, and huh. since there's no requirement for the crude to stay here in the U.S., that does put certain refiners at a disadvantage when they're bidding for the crude. Right, they're so bidding for example, because China, right, China's got an unlimited pocketbook, so how can you bid against them? Yeah, well, it's always that. It's, you know, the, uh, any even even bigger companies that might export it to their refineries overseas, they're bidding on the crude, but they actually, since they don't have to keep it in the U.S., they can use a non-Jones Act ship. And the cost per barrel of the ship on a known Jones Act ship is significantly cheaper than if you're using a Jones Act ship. Well, if you required it to stay in the U.S., then everybody would have to use a Jones Act ship. Uh, but because there's no requirement for it to stay in the U.S., you might have foreign refiners or traders even. There were traders that have won bids in the past that can bid on this crude. They can uh, be more, you know, they have cheaper costs because they have cheaper ships that they're going to use to send the crude overseas. Uh, and, and there aren't always a lot of Jones Act ships available. And DOE doesn't guarantee you a certain time where you get to lift the crude. So there's a lot of logistical challenges associated with making sure you have equal, all refiners have equal access to the crude. There's also some refiners in the Gulf that have pipeline access into the South Caverns, so those guys actually have an automatic advantage in terms of being able to access the crude, whereas if you're a coastal refiner, there's a lot more, uh, there are a lot more uh, logistical hurdles that you have to overcome that could inhibit you from being able to uh, place a bid for the crude that's competitive given what all the other folks that are going to be vying for the crude are putting in. Brendan Williams from PBF Energy joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show. A couple of minutes left in the show before we wrap at the uh, top of the hour. Um, Simple question, Brendan, layman's terms. I feel like Washington uh, is blaming the energy companies uh, for the increase at the gas pump and for everything that we're talking about. Um, That's not true, but that's I feel like Washington is blaming you, blaming the energy companies. How do you react to that? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it seems to be the typical knee-jerk reaction that some politicians take when they don't have answers or they don't necessarily want to uh, address the policy challenges that our country's facing in a way that can help alleviate consumer costs of the pump and also independent refiner costs. I think a lot of folks in D.C. still don't really understand our sector. They think the entire oil industry is you know, a big amorphous blob, and everybody's like a super major where you're in every business in the supply chain, whether it's producing oil out of the ground or refining it and selling it at the gas station. And that's obviously not the case, right? As you all guys know, you know, East Coast refiners are independent refiners. They're significantly smaller than all the super majors, and they face a lot different circumstances than some of these uh, bigger oil companies. And and a lot of the bigger oil companies that they're attacking uh, – they're facing circumstances that inhibit them from producing more. Some of it's financial. Uh, we, I mentioned that there are a lot of them have taken a lot of debt to survive the pandemic. Uh, there is a shortage of crews out there to work some of these fields. Uh, and we, as we've talked in the past, there's a lot of regulatory barriers that make it really expensive to produce energy domestically or in sometimes uh, make it fairly impossible. Uh, there's been uh, – we've seen that – you know, over the past couple of years, we've seen some denials of some permits that were already granted to produce oil in Alaska. They did a pause on federal permitting of leasing. Now, a lot of these leases, 
they actually wouldn't come online for a long time, but they send a signal to the market that, oh, yeah, we do want to increase domestic production. And so when you stop those activities, it says, wait a second, you know, don't. Don't increase production. Take your foot now, off the gas. Now, Brenda, give me, give me, give me about twenty seconds if you can give me this because we only got about a minute left. Why are we allowing China access to our reserves? Um, you know, th- this is potentially. I get, I get it. We have a trade relationship with China, obviously, but this is, it, and our own refiners don't have access to it. But we're allowing them to have access to our reserves. It doesn't Can't. sound like a question well, I can answer in 40 seconds, Brendan, but do it. T- give us a tight answer on it. If yeah, you Congress really just needs to reform the SPR so that all classes of refiners have equal access, A, and B, to ensure that anybody bidding on the crude has to keep it here in America. There's no reason we should be exporting the crude, and there's no reason we should provide an advantage to just the largest companies who have pipeline access. Brendan Williams from PBF Energy wrapping us up on another edition of the Labor and Energy Special. J-Doc, 15 seconds until we say goodbye. I'll give it to you. I mean, a a fantastic show, very diverse show, lots of conversation about our crude, about Reggie, and about what's going on here in the United States, and and fantastic guests, and we want to educate the public so they're in the know. All right, good. uh, Well done, well stated. Brendan Williams, thank you so much for joining us. This is the Labor and Energy Special. with Jay Doc and Krause. Until next time, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre recorded.